Amen. Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Anybody glad to be alive today? Man, I am, right? It, it, well, I get, well, as a Christian, I don't know if it beats the alternative or not, right? But anyhow, I am glad to be alive. glad that you're here. Um, uh, Francis Chan opens up the seventh chapter of his book, Letters to the Church, uh, with this scripture. And, and I, I got another copy of the book any, of Letters to Church. Anybody want this copy? I got, okay, there was a hand back there that went up real quick. Okay, I'm going to toss it from here. You ready? You ready? I got an interception coming, I can tell. Ed, we got it. Woo! All right. All right, it's a great book. Uh, books are real good when we read them, right? <laughs> but he opens up the seventh chapter with this scripture from Galatians. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then he writes, In the Ironman Triathlon, participants swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, and run 26.2 miles. I'm tired just reading that. He says, If I asked you to watch it with me, many of you would consider it. If I asked you to compete in it with me, that number would drop considerably. He goes on, there are millions of people in our country who call themselves Christians because they believe uh, the Christian life is about admiring Christ's example, not realizing it is a call to follow it. If they really understood this, the numbers would drop drastically. The New Testament could not be clearer. We're not just to believe in the crucifixion, we are to be crucified with Christ. He goes on. If you listen only to the voice of Jesus, read only the words that came out of his mouth, you would have a very clear understanding of what he requires for his followers. If you listen only to modern preachers or writers, you would have a completely different understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Could there be a more catastrophic problem than this? There are millions of men and women who have been taught that they can become Christians and it will cost them nothing and they believe it. Forget what you've been told about asking Jesus to be your personal Savior. Read what Jesus demanded and ask yourself whether you still want to follow him. There was no misinterpreting what Jesus was calling for. That is why he had so few disciples. The call to follow Jesus was a call to die. The price tag was front and center. Jesus laid it out from the start and told people to count the cost before they got themselves into something they weren't ready to commit to. Nowadays, we just want to talk about the good part, the grace and blessings. And of course, grace, forgiveness, and mercy are central to the gospel, but at the same time, Jesus was very truthful and upfront about the costliness of the gospel, a concept that we sometimes neglect. In doing so, we've lost something so central to the essence of what it means to be Christian. Becoming a Christian is a complete and total surrender of your own desires and flesh to the higher purpose of serving God's glory. Becoming a Christian, and a lot of us in this room would say that we are Christians, is a complete and total surrender of your own desires and flesh to the higher purpose of serving God's glory. It means you die to yourself and put on Christ. That is what you're signing up for. According to Jesus, far from having no cost, following him will cost you everything. End quote. Would you guys pray with me? 
I encourage you to pray palms open. We do that sometimes, just to remind ourselves. Usually when I ask you to do this, you know it's, gonna be, it's always going to be tougher teaching, right? You know, but to say, hey, God, God, I'm open, right? You know, I, I'm open to what you have to say, what you want to teach me today. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. And God, we, we sang about this crazy love you have for us. God, how there's no, you know, shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, no wall you won't knock down as you come after us. And there's no sun that you didn't give up to come after us. And, and Jesus, we, we say and we want to come after you, and I think sometimes we are not sure what that means. And God, I pray for open hearts. I pray that my heart is open to what you would have for us today. I pray they'd be pleased. I pray the enemy out of this room, he does not like followers of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, welcome to week eight of this extremely important series we're in, and it's called uh, Becoming the Church That He Intended. And during this series, uh, we, we spent four weeks unpacking the church is statements, right? And, and that's really important so that we understand what does the Bible say that the church is? Uh, we spent one week uh, looking at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, where we saw uh, the new covenant. We saw the church being born with great power. We saw the Holy Spirit being poured out on all people. And we spent the last four weeks in a conversation called Devoted. Uh, their devotion of the early church was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was their devotion. What was the results of that devotion? Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. I mean, would anyone like those words to describe this church that meets at 3210 Prophet Road? And, and, and here's, the, here's the awesome deal that, that, God, that God has put on the table. If we devote ourselves like they did, we will experience the same things that they experienced. And, and here's the question I ended last week with, and I think it's a really important question, right? Will you do whatever you need to in order to take your devotion to these four things, the apostles' teachings, prayer, to the fellowship and breaking of bread, to the next level. And, and whether you circled it in your heart or mind, already, you've already answered that question, right? Yeah, I'm going to do something, or no, nah, I'm going to do nothing. I'm okay with where I'm at, or I'm going to do less. But the deal is, you know, we'll, we will never be the church God wants us to be, intended us to be. We'll never experience that kind of awe and wonder and God adding to the number daily and these miracles and crazy things happening that could not happen apart from God unless we devote ourselves to these things, right? That, that's the most important thing. And this morning, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about that Jesus intended his church to be made up of crucified followers. And before we jump into the main conversation for today, I, I think it's important in understanding who we are and understanding who we're not. And, and who we are not, you know, we are not fans. Uh, we are... Understand there's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Now, speaking of fans, 
When it comes to being one, I think NFL football fans are in a class all by themselves. I mean, I'm going to show you some images I found this week of how they dress when they go to these games. And imagine someone dressing like that at a golf tournament, right, or a tennis tournament, right? Here, here's some football fans, right? There you go, right there. That's a cheesehead, a Packer fan. Okay, here, here's another one. They're always, Raider fans, they are always scary looking guys. There's your Raider fans for you. That's how they dress. And here's the Saints. Bless you boys. Right, it's going to win. There's your New Orleans Saints. Here we have one right here. There's a, I don't know what that team is, uh, Cowboys or something like that. All right. And, and uh, they've got the Seahawks. Now, uh, Paul's on this, this last one. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to show you or not because the guy has his shirt off. And I thought it may make you stumble. So be careful. This could make you stumble. <laughs> the, the bears, right? Okay. Let's get that off. That's, that's, that's not a shirt. That's his painted body. Um, now, now, NFL football team, the, the fans are serious about their team. And, and, but listen, even though they paint their faces, wear cheese on their heads, and dress up like Halloween on steroids... They still only spend their time in the stands. They never walk in between those chalk lines. And not only that, they, they didn't train all year long, getting up early, running, lifting weights, pushing their bodies when all they wanted to do was quit, running play after play after play, watching hours and hours of game fields, playing through pain, blood, sweat, and injuries. There's a big difference between fans who cheer in the stands or in their living rooms and those who actually are on the field, playing the game, and taking the hits. Big difference. Check out some hits this one guy took um, for, just to follow Jesus and to help out the gospel. I've been in prison frequently, been flogged severely, near death many times, five times received from the juice of 40 lashes minus one. Let's pause there for a second. Like, we could read over that, right? That hurts. I, I haven't been in prison for Jesus. Have you? I haven't been flogged because I love Jesus. I haven't received the 40 lashes minus one five times, right? I haven't had my back ripped raw for Jesus because I love him. He goes on. Three times I was beat with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've, gone, I've known hunger and thirst and I've been often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and, and I do not inwardly burn? Uh, those are some serious hits taken because this guy loved Jesus and wanted to spread the gospel. And, and listen, many followers around the world, you can Google Voice of the Martyrs or something like that. You know, you know, many fellow Jesus followers are experiencing some of those same kind of things. And and what I want to do today in this, this conversation, and I'll tell you up front, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not uh, rainbows and ponies, all right? You know, it, it's a hard-hitting topic about being a crucified follower. 
And, and I want to answer some questions like, what does it mean to be a fan? Uh, why do we think being a fan is even an option? What does Jesus say about following him? And, and why is it worth it? Now, what does it mean to be a fan? Here, here's the most basic definition of fan in a dictionary. An enthusiastic admirer, right? That's what a fan is. Again, it's a guy who, who goes to the football game with no shirt and a, and a painted chest, who, who sits in the stands or at home and cheers, who has a, a signed jersey on, on his wall, has a bumper sticker on his car, and flags flying as he drives down the street. But he's never in the game. He never breaks a sweat. He takes a, never takes a hard hit in the open field. And now he knows about the players. He could rattle off their stats, but he doesn't, really, he doesn't really know them. He yells and cheers, but there's really nothing more required of him. No sacrifice has to be made. And the truth is, for many fans, that if the team they are cheering for begins to tank for a long period of time, right, uh, sometimes their enthusiasm fades and the boo birds begin singing because they are enthusiastic admirers, not followers. And listen, even if he considers himself a follower, he's more like the kind of followers that you find on social media, right? Is anybody following anybody on social media, Instagram or Twitter? Raise your hand. Come on, don't be lying in church at least, right? Okay. Okay. Here are the top five in the world, the highest number of followers. Here's their picture. You anybody know who that is? Who? 143 million. I would recognize this one only of all these, right? The Rock, right? 149 million followers. Um, here, here's the next one. Here's number three. Who's that? Selena Gomez, right? Good job. Here's the next one. Who's this? Who? I call her Ariana, but yeah. Ariana Grande, 159. And here's number one. Now, so I don't know how many will know this. Who knows? Who knows? Who said that? There you go. Cristiana Ronaldo, right? A soccer player. Number one, 174 million followers. And guess what? Every one of them increased their following by one this week because I clicked on, on them. And they're now excited because I'm following them now. I am a follower of Ariana Grande. That's so awesome. And, and you know, I think Jesus has a lot of fans and followers like that. You know, fans who cheer for him when things are going well, but walk away when there's a difficult season or they see what they think is a better offer on the table. Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, but know nothing of the sacrifice and pain of the field. Fans who know all, who, who know all about Jesus, but they don't really know him. Carl Eidelman wrote a book called not a fan, a very dangerous book to read. Um, he says this. Here's a quote. I think it's coming. There you go. Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer isn't an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. Every week all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, 
but not so close that it requires anything from them. And he's a, he's a pastor of a very large church in Kentucky of about 24,000 people. I, I understand, a fan is someone who can and will take off his jersey or her jersey depending on the situation. See, fans try to negotiate or renegotiate the deal. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, uh, but don't ask me to sell any of my stuff to help out the poor. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person who hurt me. They don't deserve it. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to save sex for marriage. I can't help my desires. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to go to church regularly or to serve when I, when I get there. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but don't expect me to take a risk and actually share my, my faith with someone. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but there's some sins and attitudes that I think I'm going to hold on to uh, for a little while. Sure, I'll follow Jesus, but don't expect me to adjust my budget so I can give to his church. Understand, these are things that fans can do, but that followers cannot do. You see, Jesus never left open the option of selective commitment or partial surrender. There's no such thing as an associate disciple, right? I don't want to be a disciple, but I'll be an associate disciple, right? No such thing. Bottom line, since what a fan says to Jesus, I love you, I'm committed to you, but let's not make this thing exclusive or make too much of it. You see, fans don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in their lives, but Jesus wants to turn their lives upside down. Our fans don't mind a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants a complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking tune-up, Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think that a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. Get it? Good. Now, why do we think it's even an option being a fan? As I thought about this, I thought of four reasons, you know. Number one, preachers, teachers, and church leaders. And this one hits close to home. Because I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, and I'm a church leader. And the truth is that I, I can relate to what Kyle Eidelman says in the forward of his, the forward of his book, or the, actually the prologue. Always read the prologue and forward of a book, right? Sometimes you want to skip right into it, because a lot of times that is really helpful. And here's what he writes. Too often in my preaching, I've tried to talk people into following Jesus. I want to make following him as appealing, comfortable, and convenient as possible. Now, why would we do that as church leaders and teachers and preachers? Try to make following Jesus as appealing, as comfortable and convenient as possible. A deal where Jesus does everything for us and expects very little in return. Well, number one, we don't want to offend people, right? And have them get uncomfortable and walk out the door and never walk back in, right? We don't want that. We don't want to scare people off. We want to see our our churches grow, and growing churches are a good thing, and we really don't want to scare people, and we do want to see people saved. But sometimes it's like we're trying to sell you on Jesus, as if somehow I could make Jesus Christ more appealing than he already is. 
It's like we're afraid. If we show you who Jesus really is and what Jesus really expects from you, that you won't want him. And so part of the problem lies right here, why we think it's an option, right? Another reason is our culture. Um, We live in a consumer-driven culture. Would you agree? And and, and we kind of bring that into our church. Uh, I mean, many come to church or they choose a church with the question, hey, what can that church do for me? What does that church have to offer me? To me, it's like the Burger King philosophy of choosing your church. Now, Now, when I was a kid back in the olden days, when you had to walk uphill both ways in the snow, right? You know, when you ordered a hamburger... You got that hamburger exactly how they made it. No special orders at all, ever. And for someone who didn't like onions, that meant I had to scrape onions off every single time I got a burger. And then in 1974, my prayers were answered. When Burger King developed a new burger philosophy and a cute slogan that went with it. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Have it your way, have it your way, have it your way. There's actually a second stanza I found this week. One, one, you two, there's a second stanza. We can serve your grilled beef whopper fresh with everything. Oh, let me get it. We can serve your grilled beef whopper fresh with everything on topper. Anything you think is proper, have it your way. I, I didn't know that was part of it. And, and, then, and then in a commercial, you can do as the dads leave and he talks to his kids as a family of four. Now that's the way to do things. Our way. And that's how many feel about the church. Hold the serving, hold the tithing, and the heart to do forgiving. Your demands, they don't ex- upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. We'll serve you your way. Serve you your way. Okay. <laughs> I'm going on the road with this, and I'm going to go hungry. It's my new diet plan. All right. And not only are we a consumer-driven culture, we're a culture where people want, hear me, they want money without work, uh, they want sex without responsibility or consequences, crime without punishment, wisdom without learning, uh, they want great families and great marriages without sacrificial effort, we, we want pleasure without pain, we want to lose weight without dieting, uh, we want to get in shape without sweating. Right? That's, that's the world that we live in. And, and we bring that into the church, right? Well, we want a great church without devotion. We want a great prayer life with, without praying. We want blessings without obedience. We want faith without reading the Bible. We want knowledge without learning. We want learning without effort. We want benefits without responsibility. We want respect without integrity. We want Jesus Without following him. That's just the culture we live in, right? We bring that in. A third reason is just the company we keep, right? What I mean by this, if, if, if you hang around, a, when a bunch of fans are hanging around with a bunch of fans, you can actually convince yourself that you're actually a follower of Jesus when you're not, right? 
I could hang around. I could, if I hung around with Paul like for like five seconds, I'd be like, dude, you need some serious work, right? That's just reality. And third, us would be it, you know, me and you. I mean, we have God's word, right? And either we've chosen not to read it, or we've chosen to ignore what it says, or at least ignore the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. I don't know, is this conversation making anybody uncomfortable like it is me? Good. I hope so. Because what if, hear me, what if all of life comes down to this one question? Am I a follower of Jesus? I mean, what if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and where we will spend forever comes down to this one question, am I a follower of Christ? Not am I a fan of Christ? Not am I a church attender? Not, not am I an enthusiastic admirer? Not am I associate disciple, but am I a follower of Christ? You see, being a follower of Christ forces me to, to look at my life differently, to live differently. Right? You hurt me. How do I respond? Well, it depends on whether I'm a follower or a fan, right? A follower has to respond one way, right? I have to forgive, right? Um, I'm, my flesh wants me to do something that's wrong, right? Come on, Steve. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, it's the 21st century. Yeah, it is a big deal. That is, if I'm a, a follower of Jesus. And, 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 you know, one of the most sobering passages in the entire Bible is this one. Because Jesus says that one day when he comes back, there's going to be some people with cheese on their heads, spiritually speaking, and painted bellies. And he's going to say these words to them. They think, hey, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Does that verse scare you? It terrifies me. That concept terrified Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul talks about, hey, I, I, I want to beat my body so it does what it's supposed to do because I, I, at the end of the game, I don't want to find out that I got disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Here's the next question. What does Jesus say about following him? Right? What does Jesus say about following him? I'm going to read two passages, one from Luke chapter 9 and one. And this is the most important things being said today is, is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 23. Then he said to the crowd. You see, what Jesus, he wasn't concerned necessarily about the size of the crowd, but the level of their commitment. Here's what he says. This is, if anyone... Turn to the person to your right and left and turn to the person to your right and left and say, You're an anyone. <laughs> You're an anyone. 
hearing anyone. Here's what he said. Like, I'm not making this up. If anyone would come after me, he should think about maybe sometime in the future when he feels like and it's convenient and comfortable. No. Uh, He says, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you try to live for you and your desires and your wants, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You'll find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your very self? Then a little further down in Luke's gospel in chapter 14, he says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now here's what you'll find in the New Testament in the gospels, that Jesus from time to time will will try to find out, like, who's who's just traveling with me? And who is actually following me? And there's a distinction. There's a distinction. And who's following and who's traveling? And to be clear, the travelers were welcome, right? And travelers are welcome here, right? And we want people to come here and to learn about Jesus and to keep learning about Jesus. But eventually there comes a point in time when Jesus is going to challenge you not just to travel with him, but to follow him. Here's what he said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, that's the really hard part, right? Yourself. He cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Well, that'll thin out a crowd, right? (laughs) I mean, that's one way to figure out who's traveling with you and who's actually following you. If you want to come after me, you have to hate your family. Again, that does not seem like a great recruitment approach, does it? Like if the local gym is trying to get new members, that's not what they're going to do, right? (laughs) I mean, they're going to put out billboards and send out ads that say, here is all Here's how our gym is going to benefit you. But Jesus isn't doing that. So why does he use language like hating your family? Now, obviously, we know that this is hyperbole, right? I mean, because to say literally hate your family would go against core teachings elsewhere. But it's hyperbole, exaggeration for the sake of making a point that in comparison to the way you feel about Jesus the way you feel about every else, everybody else is you hate them, right? Like Jesus is number one in your life, and everybody else is a very, very, very distant second place. And in that culture, in that day, you know, many people, right, who actually did choose Jesus, you know, for a, a Jewish person, right, you know, and, and those 3,000 baptized in, 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 in the church in Acts chapter 2, for them to leave what they grew up in, Judaism, would be seen as hating, right? As hating their family. As hating them. So when Jesus says this to the crowd and calls for that level of commitment, you can almost hear some of the people in the crowd getting pretty uncomfortable. And why would Jesus say this? Because it seems like bigger crowds would be a good deal for a rabbi. And then the next verse, he says, every one of you, so, you know, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Would you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You see, Jesus, he's just being upfront about what it means to follow him. I mean, there's no fine print, right? Because Jesus wants us to know what we're signing up for. You know, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this series as a church family, right? To remind ourselves, right? What we signed up for. And to remind ourselves that Jesus does have some things he expects from us as a follower. You know, recently I was reading about, you know, around the world churches really suffer persecution. And Southeast Asia, they suffer a lot of persecution. And, 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 and what pastors have done and church planners have done, because they want people to know what they're getting into, they devise a series of questions they would ask people who want to surrender to Christ and become part of the church. And here's the questions they're going to, they ask them. You know, are you willing to leave your home and lose the blessings of your family? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to forgive those who persecute you and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering for the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Like those are the questions. They're like, okay, so do you, do you, do you still want to sign up? I mean, they just want to be fair. They want to be honest. And say, look, here's what it's going to cost you. And, and though we may never be asked put in a situation exactly like that to follow Jesus, there still will be a cost. And I think each of us in this room who, who claim Christ need to ask ourselves, hey, what is it costing me to follow Jesus? Like if you were at Starbucks with Jesus and he said, hey, Steve, what, what have you paid to follow me? Well, you know, Jesus, a couple times a month, I sit in an air-conditioned building for 90 minutes, sing some songs and Listen to some guy talk. I mean, would we feel comfortable if that's really like all we were able to say that we actually did? Like, what is it costing you? And this is not me asking you, right? I mean, this is Jesus wants to know, right? Because he says there's a cost. And, and, and I want to encourage you this week to ask yourself, hey, what, what does it cost me? Is it costing me? When's the last time it cost me? How much am I willing it to cost me? You know, could I sign that statement that believers in Southeast Asia are saying? Or would I be like, I don't, I don't know, really? I'm going to have to go to jail? My family's going to hate me? I'm going to lose my business? I, I don't know. That's kind of hard. You know, and, and, and I, think, I think one of the ways that we're going to find um, opposition to following Jesus is the area of like moral truth. You know, because what the Bible teaches morally is no longer politically or culturally acceptable or correct. And, 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 and though we're to love people and listen to people and care where people are coming from, when we take a stand on some moral issues, right, whether it has to deal with babies in the womb, whether it has to deal with marriage and other moral issues, right, sexuality, and we take a biblical stand on those truths, we can expect some backlash, right? Now, we need to love and accept everybody, right? But we need to hold our moral ground. And 
Because ultimately, you know, what God thinks about an issue dwarfs what anybody else thinks about an issue, right? And what our world thinks about an issue. What God has spoken on an issue is what really matters and what's really important. And we're going to find more and more as we stand up to that, right? Hey, no, I just, you say, hey, hey, that's wrong. And I don't believe in that. Here's what Jesus said. We can expect some backlash. Just three quick things. And then four quick things after that, then five quick things after that, then seven, and then we'll almost be done. Now, uh, three quick things about this invitation. It's an open invitation. Anyone, right? Anyone. I love it. Anyone, right? There's not like, okay, there, you got to meet this pre-qualification in order to get in. No, anyone. Everybody's invited. Sexual past? Anyone. Alcoholic? Anyone. Addict? Anyone. Anger and pride issues? Anyone. Recently divorced? Anyone. Fear and insecure? Anyone. Hypocrite? Anyone. Republican? Anyone. Democrat? Anyone. Steelers fan? <sighs> Yankee fan? Well, <laughs> yeah, anyone. Even them. Or, that's how that's much God loves people, right? He lets Steelers and Yankee fans in. No. Uh, it's a passionate pursuit. Come after me. And that phrase come after was, was used as a romantic relationship. Like, like you, you would pursue someone, right? If you've ever pursued somebody romantically, you, you kind of, that, that's what it means to come after. You know, in, in 1996, I, I went after somebody with great passion. And three months later, she married me, right? So, so I, I get what that means, right? To come after somebody. That's what he's talking about. Total surrender. Dying to and denying yourself. If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, we, we can't follow him without denying. We can't follow him without dying to ourselves. And at different times, it'll mean different things, right? You know, dying to yourself may be, mean forgiving the person who hurts you without getting even or expecting anything in return. That can be hard. It can mean loving someone who's been unkind to you. It can mean, down to yourself, it may mean a taking a risk and work, somehow finding a way to work Jesus into that conversation with that friend, coworker, or, or family member. Down to yourself could, could, could mean signing up to serve in children's ministry. It, it could mean walking by that empty room in your house and wondering, hey, I wonder if there is a, an orphan or a foster child that should be sleeping in that bed right now. It could mean any number of things, dying to yourself. It could be, mean confessing that secret sin that no one knows about. And here's the final question. For a thousand points, Alex. Right? Here's the final question. Um, why is following Jesus worth it? You know why? Because Jesus said it's worth it. I mean, if it wasn't worth it, then I say, hey, let's stay in the stands. Let's just wear cheese on our heads, right, and, and, and paint our bellies, right? Uh, let's not, but it is worth it. In Mark chapter 10, Peter makes a statement to Jesus. And here's what he says. Peter spoke up. We left everything to follow you. And they did, right? They, they left their family. They left everything. Right? Uh, they spent three years learning from Jesus. We left everything to follow you. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but just pretend, right? I had a bunch of hundred dollar bills up here and I said, I tell you what, I got a deal for you. You give me a dollar. And I'm going to give you one of these Benjamins right here. I mean, you'd be like, that's a good deal. You're going to give me a dollar and I'm going to get $100 back? That's what Jesus is saying, right? He says, man, man you're not going to be ever able to measure what you get back in return. You know, you get to be a part of, of my church. You get to be a part of authentic community. You get to be a part of Living your life walking with me. Access to the throne room of God. You get to be a part of something that redirects the forevers of lost people. You get to be a part of something that feeds hungry people, like that food over there we're collecting, right? It's not just a life through competition. There's hungry people in our community that are going to eat that food. You get to be a part of something that, that mends broken hearts, that brings family to the lonely. A hundred times as much, right? A hundred times as much as you give. So you, you can't outgive God. You, you can't really sacrifice for God because you always get back more. It's worth it because Jesus says it's worth it. I think Paul would think it was worth it, right? He took all those beatings, right? And what his final words were, he, he goes, hey, you know what? The time has come. Second Timothy 4, right? He said, it, Paul knows pretty soon they're walking down the hallway. They're going to open that jail cell I've been in. And they're going to take me and they're going to cut off my head. Imagine that. And Paul writes to Timothy, hey, I, I know that it, the time is coming soon for my departure. You know, he says, in fact, my life is already being poured out like a drink offering. No, then he says what? You know, but I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now I know that there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me that the Lord himself will award to me and everybody else who runs the race the way that I am running it hundred times as much. Along with persecution, there's a cost. In the age to come, what? Eternal life. Like, don't underestimate that reward, right? You know, don't underestimate the fact that you're, one day you're going to spend your life in a perfect world. No pain, no sorrow, no disease, no divorce, no broken families, no addictions, no fear, no loneliness, right? No sin, no sorrow, no depression, no discouragement. And you're going to spend that forever in this incredibly perfect world. And why is it worth it? That's why it's worth it. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to find out what life is about. It's about following me and dying to yourself and finding in that you found real life. And yeah, you're going to pay a price, but what you get in return is going to be more than worth it. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I, long, and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And church, this week I would just encourage you, Jesus followers, right? That spend, read Luke 9 and Luke 14 this week, you know, read them over and over again. See what they're saying? Look at the context. I saw some awesome things in context in Luke 14. I have no time to talk about it. I just read it this morning. And 
there's no time for me to tell you, but wow, the context of what he said there, some pretty cool parables, some pretty good placement of things. Like, whoa, I didn't see that before in all these years. I encourage you to read those chapters over and over again. And, and just pretend you're at Starbucks and saying, or, hey, Jesus, here's what, I, here's what following you has cost me. And you know what? Here's what, there's nothing I am not willing to give up for you because you are more than worth it. Because we know that he gave up for us, right? You know, every week at Maple Grove, we, you know, we have communion, and, and communion is where we remember, right? You know, it, Jesus didn't like kind of surrender. He didn't just like kind of give himself up. You know, Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. I mean, when they punched him, it bruised him. When they cut him, he bled. When they all turned and walked away from him, that kind of kind of hurt when they mocked him, when he pressed that crown of thorns on his head, when that Roman scourge with the cat of nine tails of broken glass and pottery and lead filled in it, ripped across his back 39 times, taking out hunks of flesh, that hurt. That was real blood. That was a real body, and it was broken for you. And that blood was shed for you. And so we celebrate communion every week to remember Jesus, to remember how he lived, Remember why he died, right? He died to pay a debt he didn't owe because everyone in this room owed a debt that they could never pay. And it really is a time of celebration, right? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a song. And the way we do communion in Maple Grove, it's all, everybody's welcome. It's off to the side there. Um, we have two cups. In the top cup, you'll see a cracker. Underneath that, you'll see juice. The box behind it is where we collect our offer, where we give back to God. To God, hey, this is what I think you're, you're worth. You bless me, and I, I want to bless your ministry here at the church. We have those blue buckets, our compassion buckets. We use those to help people in our community. Uh, like Courtney mentioned not long ago, we helped a, a single mom with her rent and some th- bills she couldn't pay just in her community, no strings attached. We, we go looking for people who need help, and that money just goes to help them. And sometimes you're struggling, a couple hundred bucks or so really goes a long way and lets people know that they're not alone and that people care and that ultimately God cares. So I'm going to, if you guys would stand, I'll pray, and then we're going to sing this song. Jesus, forgive me for at times being a fan. I find it easier to be a fan. It's more comfortable, more convenient. But deep down, I know it's really not that satisfying. Jesus, I pray this week that that I and those in this room will just do a DTR with you, define the relationship. Are we a fan or a follower? And I pray that we realize how much it's worth following you. Jesus, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and we thank you so much for the grace that surrounds us and that we're about to sing about. Amen.